We're on the record. I'm Sheila Hess. Good morning. Since 2000, every state in the country has recognized Martin Luther King Jr. Day, a celebration of the civil rights leader's birth. On April 14, 1967, less than a year before he was assassinated, King spoke at Stanford University. He described one America overflowing with prosperity and opportunity, but said there was also another America. This other America has a daily ugliness about it that constantly transforms the buoyancy of hope into the fatigue of despair. In this America, millions of work-starved men walk the streets daily in search for jobs that do not exist. In this America, millions of people find themselves living in rat-infested, vermin-filled slums. In this America, people are poor by the millions, and they find themselves perishing on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. Later in the show, we'll hear about the celebrated Baltimore tradition of the Martin Luther King Jr. Day Parade. First, historian Chris Haley joins us. He leads research for the Legacy of Slavery Project at the Maryland State Archives. Welcome back to the show, Chris. Thank you so much, Sheila, for having me. King raised the idea of two Americas. I'd like to raise the idea of two histories. One, a a whitewashed history that glosses over the ugly and uncomfortable truths of America. Another that fully illuminates those truths. How, as a historian, do you work toward that second kind of history? I think that what we've always tried to do within the Legacy of Slavery program and within my own work, what what my personal interest is, is always to try to find the actual documents, quotations, facts that explain, affirm, or refute what people believe in, in casual or, quite frankly, heated conversations. And, and, and that is to say, for what we've done at the archives and for what my uncle tried to do. Your uncle Alex Haley, author of Roots. And for what I feel like anybody who's trying to speak toward racial justice and and let's say a whole attempt to try to find human equality is to look for the similarities and to look for the disparities and to say them and show them and display them clearly so people can talk about how they feel about them, but they can't deny that they exist. You are delivering the keynote address today at the 19th annual Martin Luther King Jr. Prayer Celebration at St. Mary's College of Maryland. Your talk is titled, Daring to Act, Radically Changing the Present. So what is your message? He was radical, even though many people today will use his name, use his legacy to talk about who they perceive as being radical or who they perceive as being, or label, that's more, more effectively, label as being extreme left-wing. Martin Luther King Jr. was considered extreme left-wing, 
Martin Luther King Jr. was considered a danger to America by many institutions, many of those in power. And when we look at it in today's lens, many will talk about him being a man of peace and a man of, of gentility to some degree, when in fact, his peaceful protest along with Mahatma Gandhi was still strong and was still forceful and was still determined, even though he didn't resort to using guns or bombs or armies to put it forth. And part of my message will be to remind people of that, but to, to remind them that whatever his message was, don't misconstrue his, perhaps the manner in which he delivered the message against the energy with which he felt the message and why he felt the message had to be relayed. This is On the Record on WIPR. I'm Sheila Cast speaking about the life and legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. with Chris Haley of the Legacy of Slavery Project at the Maryland State Archives. Yeah, I mean, over time, King's critiques of the Vietnam War and of capitalism and his calls for direct action and black liberation have been flattened to messages of nonviolence and anti-racism. What does it take to revive a fuller version of King's beliefs? One of the things that I was so pleased with, with discovering, and that's one thing about being a person who's, who's involved and who is immersed in history, is that there are discoveries you can have from day to day if you just decide to look at a source that perhaps you didn't look at the day before or decide to read a source again. So I decided to read Where Do We Go From Here, which was the last book that, that Martin Luther King wrote before he passed away, written in 1967. Within this book, he specifically talks about, about billions of dollars which people of color would have been owed if the federal government actually came through and paid them. So yes, that does mean reparations, which he was talking about in 1967. No one, no one on, let's say another side of the political spectrum would admit to that. There's also this speaking that he does about how people are still treated so, so inequitably based on their the color of their skin. No one on the other side would really speak to that or own up to that. So as you so so correctly say, Sheila, it's been flattened so that it refutes those of us who today still speak of inequality or who still speak of social, economic, and emotional damage that has been a legacy. That's one of the things I really think is worthwhile sharing and to share it because I plan to read from his book. I plan to read from his book. I plan to read poems by Paul Lawrence Dunbar, by Langston Hughes, to reiterate to people the feeling, the emotion of, of African-American artists who were in the midst of the reality of inequality during their time, which they chose to use in their art to communicate. So even if it would, if with a great rhythm, with, with very fluid, melodious words, they were still sending a very strong message along the lines of when Martin Luther King would do his talks and his melodious tones and his resonant, his dissonant sound 
was something that drew you in. And sometimes you forget about all the messages within it. But if you look at the paper, if you look at the books, if you remind yourself of what happened to him, he was jailed many times. He was assassinated. It's not like his life was a bed of roses because after he died, statues were created in his name. Buildings were created in his name. When he lived, it was still a struggle. And I think that's what we should be reminded of today when we move forward. The reality of what his, his accomplishment was and the challenges that he went through while achieving them. Chris, thank you for amplifying the message. Thank you. Chris Haley directs the Maryland State Archives' Study of the Legacy of Slavery in Maryland project. At the On the Record page at WIPR.org, we have links to more information about local events honoring Martin Luther King Jr. Short break on the record. When we're back, a look back at the 2019 MLK Day Parade in Baltimore. I'm Sheila Castaweda. I'm Al Waller. I'm Katherine Collinson. And I'm Mahela Vince. In upcoming episodes of Clear Path, Your Roadmap for Life, we'll discuss ways to catch up on retirement savings and the importance of self-care. Tune in to WIPR's website and mobile app, all major podcast platforms, and transamericainstitute.org. Welcome back to On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast. Today, cities across the country are commemorating the birth and legacy of civil rights leader Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. So was Baltimore City, but amid some controversy. The Baltimore Office of Promotion in the Arts, or BOPA, announced 11 days ago that the MLK parade was canceled and replaced with a day of service. Mayor Brandon Scott wasn't having it. This is what he told Tom Hall on midday four days later, last Monday. My office is going to put on the MLK Day Parade because BOPA is not doing it. Uh, we were told uh, uh, by BOPA that, that it was not a priority and that we all know, you and I know, that we can both honor Dr. King's legacy by participating in a National Day of Service and celebrating him with a parade. That's what's going to happen. The parade kicks off at 12 noon today at the intersection of Martin Luther King Boulevard and Utah Street. So we're revisiting an episode from another time when some folks were still fuming about the parade that almost wasn't. In 2018, then-Mayor Catherine Pugh had threatened to cancel, but public outcry won. On the record, producer Melissa Gear asks some Baltimoreans what participating in the MLK parade means to them. Her first stop was at the Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity, the Delta Lambda alumni chapter, just before the start of their monthly meeting. When you look at the black and African-American culture in this city, you really look at a group of individuals, group of people who really represent all that Martin Luther King fought for. My name is Mills. It's Ronald Anthony Mills. I am a 32, almost 32-year member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. I am a past president of Delta Lambda Chapter, our oldest alumni chapter on the Eastern Seaboard, and I am the immediate past Eastern Region Vice President of the fraternity, which means my territory was New England to Virginia, Bermuda, Germany, Liberia, South Africa, and the United Kingdom. 
So Alpha Phi Alpha was the first uh, collegiate fraternity for men of color, for black men. We were founded at Cornell University in Ithaca, New York, December 4th, 1906. Delta Lambda chapter actually is our oldest alumni chapter on the Eastern Seaboard. This year we will be, as a chapter, we will be celebrating our 100th anniversary, our centennial in May. Um, and so we've been in the city since then, since 1919, and have had a number of prominent Baltimore men who have been members of the chapter. The Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity, as I understand it, was responsible for raising the funds and even just coming up with the idea for the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial in Washington, D.C. Um, what are your thoughts about that as we are coming up on the, um, the holiday to commemorate his legacy? All right. So actually, the idea for the monument was actually birthed in our chapter in Silver Spring, Iota Upsilon Lambda, the alumni chapter there. And so for us, that's, you know, really a, a real nice feather in the cap because, you know, it's the only monument on the mall for a black man, really, um, that has been built by his fraternity, so to speak, but a black organization. And for us, so when Martin Luther King Day comes around, not only do we have the fact that he was a member, but the fact that there's a lasting monument that will be there for generations to come. So for us, really, it's looking at what he stood for. It runs very parallel to what the fraternity stood for, stands for, but looking at what he stood for and really how, how, what can we do to invoke those principles every day in our lives, whether it's dealing with things nonviolently, fairly, holding others accountable, really uh, focusing on civil education and, and fighting for the rights of others and the lesser man. And for us, the way we do that is not just by volunteering, but also training and serving as leaders within community-based organizations. And so our focus as an organization is really to build today and tomorrow's leaders. And that's how we serve our community. Are you going to be marching in the parade on Monday? Yes. So actually, so me personally, depends on the weather. <laughs> I have done it for a number of years, but when it gets too cold, at, at, at 52, I figured, you know what, there's some younger guys who'd rather be out there marching, stomping, stepping, and doing whatever. Uh, but if it's not too cold, too terribly cold, I'll definitely be out there. But as an organization, yes, several of our chapters are coming together. There are at least three alumni chapters in Baltimore, four college chapters, and then you have chapters in the surrounding area where we come together and we march as one. We're, we're different chapters, but we're one fraternity. With the legacy of this organization that is very closely connected to Martin Luther King Jr., what what significance does it hold for you to to be walking in the parade on that day? Well, on that day in particular, there's more focus on him, Brother King, and his, the principles for which he fought and stood. And so for us... What that says is this is an opportunity for us to shine light on our organization to say there are other men just like him who have been a part of America's history, a part of Maryland's history. What would you like parade spectators to come away with after viewing the parade? Yeah, well, at the parade, enjoy it. 
<laughs> have have fun. Baltimore is known for marching in parades, and you know when we're there, we're, that's us at our fun time. That's when we're having fun. Most of the times, they remember us in the colors and the group, and that's wonderful. That's what we like. So have fun at the parade. But then when you leave from there, meditate on not just not just what. Dr. King did, but what you can do in terms of service in this city. That's what we, that's the message that we want folk to take. One, two, one, two, three, four. I'm not trying to uh, make musicians. I'm just trying to make people who can contribute to society rather than taking away from society, which is a part of the legacy of Dr. King. You always have to put something back in. My name is Charles Fun, and I am the director of bands at Paul Lawrence Dunbar Senior High School in Baltimore, Maryland. I have been here for 23 years. I've been teaching for 42 years. Is there significance for this parade in particular because it is honoring the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr.? Most definitely. Every time we perform, I try to pick or write a song that ties into the theme of the parade. We're doing Let My People Go, which uh, Dr. King was involved in. It is a black spiritual. We're doing Wade in the Water, another black spiritual. We're doing uh, We Shall Overcome, which was the theme of the civil rights uh, movement. And I wrote up a marching band version of Stevie Wonder's Happy Birthday to you, which the kids enjoy playing. Uh, we also do another song called Honor Guard, which is a majestic song which uh, honors the legacy of Dr. King. And we are also doing Lovely Day, which is what Dr. King wanted all of us to have in our lives and to have a lovely life. But uh, the significance of it is what he has done to bring about a spiritual feeling that all people should have and I was fortunate enough to go through that era of the civil rights of demonstrating and the segregation and then the integration and uh, I was fortunate enough as a child to see uh, Dr. King preach at Virginia Union University and the church the chapel was so crowded that my father had to put me up on his shoulders so I could look in I think I was about eight or nine years old so I was able to peep in the window and get an image of him for about four or five minutes and I definitely remember when he was a assassinated so it brings about a special feeling every time that the band marches it. My name is Jonathan English. I am a senior and I play trumpet and I've been in a um, marching band, concert band, and jazz band for all four years in high school. What would you like the, the people who are watching the parade to take away from, from your performance and from the parade itself? Um, enjoy the quality of our music because it takes time and effort and practice to do what we do and it's not easy, especially dealing with Mr. Fun. No offense, but 
it's, it's not easy being in a marching band, let alone Mr. Funds Band, because he's so hard on us, and that pushes us to be who we are now, um, as far as instrument players um, and students by itself. I think that if some song or some notes that we have played or another band has played can bring back some memory that the older people have of Martin Luther King, uh, it can cause the adults to instill in the younger kids the significance of what Martin Luther King did and the fact of how far we have come as a nation, how far we have come as a race. We still haven't gotten that far, but it is a continuous battle, continuous. And if we can help somebody remember an image which they have had or a circumstance that they had with Dr. King or because of Dr. King, then it's worth us being out there freezing and marching for three and a half miles. It's more than worth it. This is about celebrating a man who's done so much for this country uh, and for his community, but it's also about celebrating the city. My name is Hassan Giordano, owner of DMV Daily Media Group um, and political analyst. You were quoted in an article last year when Catherine Pugh was thinking of canceling the MLK parade. Um, you were ready to rally people at City Hall um, in protest. Why did you? Why do you feel so strongly about having the parade? Well, I think it's twofold. One, as a parent who's taking his children to this parade every year since my oldest has been born and he's 12, um, it kind of take it takes away a tradition in our family that our children, my children, love to go to this parade, even though it's always the coldest day of the year. They just like the, the inspiration, the hope, and the fun that comes along with the, the, being the parade, the marching bands, and the floats, and things of that sort. But it's also, as a former member of the NAACP and the chair of the criminal justice over there, this was a way for us to really promote the NAACP in history of African Americans. And so it was a day that in, inspired people, especially in a city that needs as much inspiration as hope as possible, uh, given the current um, uh, climate that's going on in the city with the 300 plus homicides four years straight so on and so forth I think this was a, a kind of slap in the face to not only Dr. King but to communities in effect and it's not just African-American communities what was inspiring was when I was organizing this rally and this protest against this decision it was a lot of people from all across the city, Roland Park, South Baltimore, West and East Baltimore, multicultural um, that felt like, you know what, this is something that we cannot let go. Um, and I think a lot of organizations and groups like the NAACP, like the fraternities and sororities, the marching bands who were a part of it, felt also like this was a kind of step back in the city where at that time we really needed a lot. of. So I'm just glad that the mayor uh, decided to, you know, change her mind and, and go forth with it. You've been going as long as you're Kids have been around, you said. How, do, how would you describe what it feels like to be a, a spectator? What is the, the energy like on the street? Oh, it's, you know, it's surprisingly, again, it's always cold, but it's like the people are just so pumped up. It almost to me feels like, and I'm an avid Ravens and Orioles and Blast fan, so take the kids to all the games. It feels like a game. 
Feels like when we had the parades when the Ravens won the Super Bowl. It's almost that excitement inspiration. Now, mind you, and I love the fact that it's not about a sport. This is about celebrating a man who's done so much for this country uh, and for his community. But it's also about celebrating the city. And you can see it there with the cross-cultural um, uh, groups and individuals who are part of the parade to have people on the, on the outside and outskirts who are celebrating not only our elected officials, but our businesses, our young people who are involved uh, in the marching bands and so forth. This day is really a day that we can say each and every year that you're going to see the best of Baltimore. One, two, one, two, three, four. The 2022 Baltimore City Martin Luther King Jr. Parade kicks off at noon today at the intersection of MLK Boulevard and Utah Street and runs south down MLK. Before and after the parade, there are lots of opportunities to honor King's legacy by participating in the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day of Service, too. We have links to more information at the On the Record page at wypr.org. I'm Sheila Cass. So glad you're with us on the record. Come back tomorrow. <laughs>